taken on flesh, conquered death, stained, shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. Holy is his and all who are joining us near and far. Uh, we are Grace Church of Orange, and we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. This is who we are, and we are glad that you have joined us on this beautiful day to pray and to sing and to open up the Word of God, hear the Word of God preached. We all need the gospel. We all need to cling to Christ and cling to Scripture. Today I'll be preaching Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, on remembering God in your work. 
Now, I've got some big news. A lot of you already know this, but next Sunday, June 7th, we're coming back together, resuming our in-person gatherings for the first time since March 15th. That's right. Under the tent, out on the grass field, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15 a.m., or you can join us live stream at 9.45 a.m., which also will be available 24-7 after that. We are looking forward to getting back together, and we are looking forward. Excitement is building. I know that not all of the flock will be able to be together. Some will feel more comfortable due to safety and health reasons, staying home, watching the live stream. And so um, we're preparing lots of important info that gives specific details and guidelines as we're getting ready to regather, and so more to come, lots of work to do. Let's serve the Lord with gladness. Let's you know, rejoice in the Lord with all of our hearts. Let's do everything to the glory of God. And with that in mind, I want to open up this service with Psalm 100. Psalm 100 goes this way, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, our deep, deep desire is to honor you in our hearts, in our homes, in your church, and to the ends of the earth. May you be glorified in us and through us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
guide my soul to see my lips shall still to a time of prayer, we feel the pain of a world in upheaval, and praise God, we can look to the triune, almighty God who alone can change hearts and in whom is perfect truth and justice. Please bow your heads together as I pray. Lord God Almighty, we come to you today and we want to worship you, but our hearts are weary with sin and our sin and sin that we witness in the world. But Lord, we come to you now and we want to adore you in spite of everything, Lord, because you reign, you are sovereign, you providentially orchestrate the events of this life. Lord, you are good. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We acknowledge your greatness. We acknowledge your sovereignty. We acknowledge your kindness and your justice and that you are right and true and fair in all your ways. And we confess to you that we are burdened by sin. And we know you are in control of all things. We know that you know what you are doing and what you want to do in our hearts and in our lives and your purpose 
for us carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. We know, Lord, that you are the God of hope and that you fill your people with all joy and peace as we trust in you, that we would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in every affliction, and and that we're able to then comfort others who are in any affliction with the, the same comfort that we are comforted in Christ. Lord, we, we beg you to bring peace in the world. Lord, that our leaders, our politicians, our media, our law enforcement, our firefighters, our, even just the general population, that all would choose what is good and right and true. We need your wisdom navigating life right now. And every day you grant us. We confess to you that our hearts are mired in sin. And we want to point the finger at others. But that our selfishness bursts forth in multiplied ways that just frighten us. We confess that our judgment is razor sharp. and Our hatred is thinly veiled and our biases are hard to hide. Our prejudices and our pride too often rule the day. Lord, have mercy on us. Your virtue is over all. You are the Lord God Almighty. You, you are holy and loving and great and strong. And you do not see as man sees. We look at the outward appearance, but you, O oh Lord, look at the heart. We know, Lord, that one day every wrong will be made right. Every crooked thing will be made straight. Every injustice will be rectified in your perfect time. But especially now in in the moment, in light of the world today, by your grace may we see and, and feel everything through the filter of your truth. May we be angered by what angers you. May we rejoice in what brings you joy. Lord, may our attitudes and our emotions and our actions be governed and guided and, and led in submission to you and your word. That is our prayer, Lord. May your name be honored. May your name be glorified. May, may the gospel continue to go forth with clarity and kindness and boldness from us to others during this time. And we pray all these things in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. be Jesus.
voices tell me I'm condemned and that I can't draw near. But your spirit calls me homeward with your words of life. Jesus bore my every sin so I cling It's more than I can do to keep my hold on you, but all my hope and peace is that you cling to me. It's more than Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 18 through 23. This is the Word of God, the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. 
This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair. Over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest and this also is vanity. You've probably seen the bumper sticker, the worst day fishing is better than the worst day, the best day working. The worst day fishing is better than the best day working. We can all identify the daily routine of getting up and serving someone who is counting on you can be really tough. Work can become monotonous. Many workers hate what they do for a living. And so many try to get the most that they can out of the least amount of effort. And many don't work hard. Thomas Edison said opportunity missed is missed because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Abraham Lincoln said if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend six sharpening my axe. Thomas Jefferson said I'm a great believer in luck. I find the harder I work, the more I have. Now the Bible's view of work is a bit different than ours. And the idea is this, God made you to work. Work is a gift from God given before the fall. Work is a gift from God, and it's meant for worship. In Genesis 2, verse 14, we read that God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Sin brought a curse to our work because of man's sin, and then it became weariness. We read in Genesis 3, verses 17 and 19, to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. But I want to make it very clear that work is not a punishment for sin. Work is a source of purpose in our lives. And as with, as with many of God's gifts, we can go to sinful extremes, can't we? We idolize our work or we idolize our importance and we can become workaholics or we can become lazy sluggards. And the result is burnout and Worn-out, work-weary people running in circles and accomplishing nothing, going nowhere. And that's the bad news. But here's some good news. In redemption, work as worship is restored. We read in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Whatever you do, do it from your heart 
as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as reward. Because you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're a Christian today, you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place, shedding his blood for your sins, and you've trusted in the finished work of Christ, then your work can be redeemed for gospel purposes. And yet, there is this realistic aspect, this unsettling truth about your work that must be faced. And Solomon helps us face this truth to reorient us because if we don't constantly return to the word of God and allow it to correct us, we drift. So Solomon reminds us to remember God. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1, it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember God. Worship him. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, he is telling us very clearly, remember God in your work. Remember God in your work. This will put what you do in perspective. In this passage for today, we see three unsettling truths. First, you'll work hard and then you'll die. Second, you'll leave everything to others. Third, they may not be wise. You're going to work hard and then die. You're going to leave everything to others, and they may not be wise. Let's look at each one of these unsettling truths. First, you're going to work hard, and then you're going to die. Verse 18 tells us, put your eyes on verse 18. It says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Toil. What a strong word. It means labor, hard, taxing work that leads to sorrow and misery and grievous effort. It's, it's worry of body or mind. It's, the result is trouble and pain and weariness. You're worn out. It's the idea of working severely and getting annoyed over it. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. This is Genesis 3 work, yielding thorns and thistles and sweat. But what this does is it recaps Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 17. And this is what the first verses in Ecclesiastes have taught us and told us. We are not in control. We cannot figure this out. Only God knows. You try to fill the void with other things, but only God satisfies. And everyone dies. Deal with that. Deal with that disappointment. Everyone dies. You're wondering if your life's work matters, and most of us are saying, well, we're never going to be famous, and we're going to be unrecognized outside of our immediate circles. But I want to tell you this today. Whoever you are, mom, dad, sister, brother, daughter, son, whoever you are, and whatever you do, whatever your work, paid or unpaid, you feel the emptiness of wondering if what you do matters. And significantly, what you're thinking is, do I matter? And I want you to know that yes, you do. 
You matter and your work matters. This is like echoing the psalmist's prayer in Psalm 90, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is like Proverbs 16, 3 that says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Give it all over to God. Literally roll your works to God, yield it to him, and and he'll lead you and guide you. And yet, and, and yet, life is short. Everyone's going to die. Psalm 49 tells us the truth. The wise die, and the fool, and the stupid alike, they perish, and they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. The first unsettling truth that you need to grasp if you want to remember God in your work is that you're going to work hard and then die. It gets better. The second unsettling truth is you will leave everything to others. You're not taking anything with you. Can't take with. Verse 18, I hated my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it. I must leave it. I have to leave it. There's no other choice. And I will leave it to the man who will come after me. As a pastor, I've officiated many funerals. And I've never been to a funeral where the hearse is towing a U-Haul trailer or a tractor trailer full of stuff. It doesn't happen. You take nothing with you. Death is terminal on your possessions and all your collections. And people have some weird and wacky collections, don't they? I mean, there's a North Carolina dermatologist that owns 675 back scratchers from 71 countries around the world. You never know when you might need one of those. In Birmingham, England, a woman has a collection of 5,000 bars of soap from all over the world. There's a person with a collection of 30,000 toenail clippings for medical research, of course. So you have all your collections, you have all your possessions, you have everything that you've accumulated in your life, and you can take none of it with you when you die. And so what do we do, though? We, we, we neglect that, and we think, I'm just going to enjoy everything right now, and I'm going to obsess over my work, no matter what I do or collect or own, and it's going to be all for me. And, and what Solomon is telling us is that when I thought that way, it led me to despair. We have the benefit of Benefiting from Solomon's wisdom. Wisdom gained, wisdom learned through the hard knocks and the mistakes of life. God had told Solomon his kingdom would be divided and that his son after him would keep only a fraction of the kingdom. You see this in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, that God was angry with Solomon because Solomon's heart turned away from the Lord who had commanded him that he would, should not go after other gods. But it tells us that he did not keep what the Lord commanded. And so the Lord said, Since you have not my covenant and my statutes, 
that I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant, yet, and here's God's covenant faithfulness in action, yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but will tear it out of the hand of your son, and I will not tear away all the kingdom I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and Jerusalem that I have chosen. So there was a time in his life that Solomon liked being king more than than being a child of the king. And he liked being the heir of an earthly domain more than of a heavenly realm. And it's only because of God's covenant faithfulness that anyone gets through. You're going to leave everything to others. You're going to do that. Look, I've been to my share of estate sales. You're going to leave everything to others. I've been to many estate sales. Here's what you do. You go into an empty house. Items are strewn all over the place. And people are rummaging through a lifetime of someone else's possessions. And they carelessly just toss things aside. They're browsing through someone else's carefully curated life. Their collection. And the preacher, it's as if he's saying to you and I, think of your wealth, not from the perspective of enjoyment, but of an estate sale. No matter how carefully you collect your stuff, or, or how much you enjoy yourself in life, you are stocking and staging someone else's good deal. You're going to get a good deal when they buy your stuff someday. Maybe I'll get a good deal when I go to your estate sale. It'll be sold for a fraction of its worth. As Luke 12, 19 says, who will have what you have laid up for yourself? You're going to work hard, and then you're going to die. Unsettling truth, but truth. And you're going to leave everything to others. You won't take anything with you. And then the third unsettling truth in this passage is that they may not be wise. The one that you leave everything to may not be wise. Verse 19. Who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. This Hebrew word, habel, vapor. It vanishes. It's brief. It's momentary. We've seen this over and over again. The wealthy giving their estates to entitled loved ones who squander or live recklessly with what they did not work for. So Solomon says in verse 20, I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair. In verse 21, because sometimes, and he's just making observations on life here, sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. It wasn't Solomon and sons working together for many years. Rehoboam would come upon the scene. How did this all work out for Solomon? 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, we, we read the account. It's sobering, it's serious, it's sad. 
All Israel came to make Rehoboam king, and Jeroboam, who was hiding in Egypt because of Sol- Solomon, came, and all the assembly of Israel came, and, and here's what they said to Rehoboam, look, your father made our yoke heavy, lighten the hard service of your father, his heavy yoke upon us, we will serve you. And he says to them, go away for three days, come back, and I'll give you an answer. So Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had served Solomon, his father. He's on a good track here, okay? And he says to them, how do you advise me to answer this people? And here's what the old men who served his father said. If you will be a servant to this people, and you will serve them, and you will speak good words to them, they'll be your servants forever. But Rehoboam abandoned the counsel the old men gave. He took counsel with the young men he'd grown up with. Saddest words. Saddest words. The kingdom passed into the hands of a fool, Rehoboam. He did not appreciate, had not worked for. Now think of your life. Think of what you have built. Think of what you have collected, what you are curating, what you are preparing for someone else's great deal. Others will follow you. Will they be wise? Only God knows. Solomon is experiencing distress, despair, sorrow, burdens, restlessness, all in these verses. The pleasure that he was seeking was giving way to despair. He says in verse 22, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils? Like, what do I get? What's in it for me? Because selfishness is what produces our complaints when we're not content. In verse 23, he says, All his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Even in the night, like you can't even sleep. This is sobering. You're just getting exhausted by your work. Your work is consuming you. And Solomon just tells us the truth. You know, this is his spiritual journal. And he says, this also is vanity. It's, it's brief. It's fleeting. It's like steam on a cup of coffee. There for a moment and then gone. Because of the fall, your work is tainted with your sin. My work is tainted with my sin. And then everybody affects everybody else it's, that they're around. You might find yourself today burnt out with your work. Maybe you find yourself today with your convictions compromised. And can you rest at night? Are you able to put your head on your pillow at night and sleep the sleep of the light conscience? Or, or are you condemned in your own heart? I want you to notice that Solomon was not fretting over his kingdom and power. He had it all. He was fretting over his reputation. He was fretting over his self-image. I mean, wherever you go, there's always going to be someone richer, smarter, brighter, kinder. I mean, you want permanence, and you're working hard, and you're going to get an estate sale and a casket or an urn. This is a sad, sobering, serious realization, is it not? 
Jeffrey Myers said, in all of man's work and labor, he changes nothing, controls nothing, successfully manipulates nothing that matters. Wow. How's that for a downer? I mean, we call lands and brands by our own names, and we can't figure out life. We hope in things that fail. We put idolatrous expectations on our work, on our life's pursuits. You might be a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter, but whatever you're doing in life, you might have put idolatrous expectations on it, and you might have put your hope in something that fails. But you might have a brand. And Solomon, this should bring us to weep. He, he recounts sleepless nights. His weary body, his exhausted mind, desiring rest. And he gets a pure, liquid rebuke of a self-centered life. You'll work hard and then die. You'll leave everything to others. They may not be wise. This is the unvarnished truth. And this is the biggest blessing from God. This is going to help you grasp reality. This is going to help you gain perspective. This is going to help you get your priorities right. Now, some are going to say this doesn't matter. I'm going to do whatever I want. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. A lot of people are going to do that. They're going to just say, you know what? If that's the way it is, awesome. I'm just going to do whatever I want, anytime I want, for me, for myself. But the godly response, where you, where you engage that, that blessing from God, is when you, you ask a question. What does God want? Now remember, I want you to remember the context of Ecclesiastes. It's all about remembering God. Ecclesiastes 12, 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then when Solomon sums it all up, at the very end, he says, the end of the matter, when everything's been said, fear God and keep his commands. Worship his sovereignty and do what his word says. Seek the will of God. Seek to please God. Remember that it's about honoring God first, worshiping him, how only God satisfies. The reason why this is such a blessing is because it drives us. It really paints you into a corner of asking some heart-searching questions. How do I feel about my work? Am I just counting the days to retirement? Do I hate getting up every morning and doing the same task I did the day before? Do I aim to serve and do my work well? Do I strive to work for the glory of God? You're going to work hard, and then you're going to die. So what are you working for? Ask yourself, what am I working for? What am I working for? 
What you need to do is, is worship God in your work. That you enjoy the gift of work and not idolize it. That you work for the Lord as a Christian in whatever realm you work. That you fear God, that you acknowledge his sovereignty and worship him and remember him and seek first his kingdom in any place that you're able to engage and do something. We toil due to the fall. Work was worship, but it became weariness. And this can be reclaimed in redemption. You see your work as worship when you seek the will of God. Your work, whatever you do. By the way, your work does not make you a workaholic. Your selfishness does. Don't rob God of worship. Don't rob yourself of joy. Just cast your cares upon the Lord. It says 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us he cares for you. Trust the Lord, as Philippians 2.13 says, to, to work what is pleasing in his sight. Guard your heart from idols, as 1 John 5.21 says. This is why, by the way, Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart, keep your heart, confine your heart with diligence, prison your heart, take your heart into custody. For from it flow the springs of life, the source of life, the sustenance of life. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. You want to worship God in your work? You need to keep the heart. Here's how Thomas Brooks put it. God's eye is on the heart. He says, above all keepings, keep your hearts. The highest, hardest work of a Christian lies with his heart. And then he says this, Brooks says, to reform the heart, to keep the heart in a gracious frame is one of the best and hardest works in the world. And then he says, oh, what guards and double guards should you put upon your heart?" Solomon learned to do just that. His journey was from sleepless nights to restful slumber. He wrote one of the Psalms, one of the 15 songs of ascent, Psalm 120 to 134, and he wrote Psalm 127. And the songs of ascent were sung by the people of God on the way up to Jerusalem to worship God as they, as they walked up to worship. And here's what he says in Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. He says it is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors because God gives to his beloved even in their sleep. 
giving you everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. Solomon learned God's lesson that work is a gift from God. Look with me at verses 24 to 26. Outside, right, right past our passage for today. He says in verse 24, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, in Ecclesiastes, he's just been hammering the truth that only God knows and only God satisfies. But here is just a brief reprise, a a breath of fresh air from the Holy Spirit, just to remind you before he jumps into the next section in Ecclesiastes. And it's work is a gift from God. Just find enjoyment in your toil. He says in verse 24, this I saw is from the hand of God. He says in verse 25, apart from him, who can eat or can have any enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, verse 26, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. David Gibson notes that the preacher is telling us that unless God gives enjoyment, everything is unsatisfying. Unless God gives enjoyment, everything under the sun is unsatisfying. The way God gives joy in his gifts is by giving you and I perspective on ourselves. We need to hear that we will work hard and then die. We need to hear that we will leave everything to others. We need to hear that only God knows if those we leave our things to will be wise or foolish. He is sovereign. He is in control. His gifts in your life are not meant to be stepping stones where you can be the master of your destiny you know, or conquer the world or achieve ultimate meaning in life. No, God's gifts are so that you would see that joy in God is the reward. That joy is what God gives his children. The joy of the Lord is your strength, as we read in Nehemiah chapter 8. The one who pleases God. Who is the one who pleases God, but the the one who has trusted in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The awesome thing is, here we are in 2020, and we get to read Ecclesiastes with gospel eyes on, with the filter of the gospel, knowing that there's the golden thread of redemption all through the Bible, and that there, there is only salvation in Jesus Christ, and that we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. And that for a a believer, whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do your job well for God's glory. Worship God as you work. And then it's not so unsettling to know that you're going to work hard and then die because you know you worked with purpose while you were here on this earth. You know, you're going to leave everything to others. When, when you die or Jesus returns, whichever comes first, 
What will you leave behind? The fact that we're going to leave everything to others should just scream at us, work for eternal value. Work for eternal things. Invest eternally. Because nothing you're searching for or collecting lasts. It's all going to burn. What what are you going to leave behind? A storage unit packed with unused items? A garage full of things you just can't seem to part with? A closet full of clothing? What does Hebrews 13 tell us? For a believer, here we have no lasting city. We are seeking the city to come. The things that are seen are temporary, as Paul told the Corinthians, but the unseen things are eternal. And you're stressing over your reputation and you're stressing over your image. So am I. But we need to get fixated on God's glory and on Him restoring His image in us. He's conforming us to the image of Christ. So invest in eternal things, invest in people's souls, invest in the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15. What does it say? Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightfully handling the word of God. Invest in the word of God. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says to them, I I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Invest in people. Do not love the world, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world, the desires of the flesh and of the eyes and the pride of life. That's all from the world, and the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It is God's will for you to invest deeply in the word of God and deeply in people's lives and sharing and living the gospel truth. As Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look, you're going you're gonna to work hard and then die. Only God knows when that will be, but you need to worship him with all your heart as you work. You need to leave everything to to other people, so invest eternally. And remember this, those you leave your stuff to may not be wise. I think that should cause us to ask the question, who am I helping? Who am I helping? That we should prepare the next generation to be wise. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, Ecclesiastes 12.1. We need to teach others that our motives matter, that we should work for others' good. I was just looking the other day at Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Originally, that meant being a day laborer, someone who works just for the day's wage. It was the attitude of those who just said, I just want the money. But it also became used of party squabbles in politics, jockeying for position and place and power. And then the word became the idea of selfish ambition, where you have no concept of service. And your only aim is for your own profit and your own power. Teach others 
to not be like that. Don't work just for what you can get. Teach them to live to honor God. That you can trust God while you're unable to understand or control life. It's not surprising. We are weak. God is strong. He knows everything. We're finite. You're going to find yourself often in frustrating situations. You can't handle in your own strength. You're frustrated by what you see and hear. Injustice, criminals, unjust deaths, violent protests, tragedy, evil, suffering. And mankind must endure and realize we can't fix everything. But we need to act for others' good. Christians need to give out the gospel and know that we cannot program life to serve us. Fallen sinful people do fallen sinful things, but God is in control and God knows all things and we have to trust his providential working and accept his ways and be dependent and bow our hearts before him and just be his available servants 24-7. Teach people that. Teach them that work is a gift from God. Like, like verse 24 tells us, don't misuse it, don't twist it, don't leverage it for your selfish purposes. Just by faith, recognize and rejoice in the work that God has given you, the enjoyment that he gives. Know that the man-made wisdom and the man-made knowledge and the man-made joy do not satisfy, they're counterfeits. But God gives to the one who pleases him. And all that the wicked gain will be given to the righteous. Take him to Proverbs Teach him Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Teach him Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule. The slothful will be put to forced labor. Teach him Proverbs 13, 4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing. The soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Teach him Proverbs 14, 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Teach him Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands to have something to share with any in need. Teach them to work. You're going to be handing over whatever you've done in life to others. What are they going to pick up after you've laid it down? Teach them to work. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 and 12, Just aspire to live quietly and to mind your own business and to work with your hands so that you would walk properly before unbelievers and not be dependent on anyone. He says, live quietly. Be content to be unknown and unnoticed. Work hard to be still, to be ambition-free from worldly ambition, to be content to honor God. Mind your own business. Focus on your own work and don't be a busybody. Busy with everything but what matters most. And work with your hands. Do your work. Your work has intrinsic value because you matter to God, because it's your calling, God-given vocation. Just be faithful right where you are. God is pleased with you when you live your life to please him. Just be an ordinary person in ordinary life doing ordinary work as you proclaim and live out an extraordinary gospel. You're playing show and tell. 
You're going to leave everything to someone else. They may be wise, they may be foolish, but your mindset lived is observed. Your outlook, negative or positive, is caught. Are you bored or are you energized? What's your attitude? What's your ambition? Is your work idolatrous? Is it monotonous? Is it drudgery or is it joy? You know, we live in a time where we are constantly being watched and listened to all the time by our devices, by cameras. God and Google sees all. But others are observing you. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. As I bring this to a close, let me just say this. Sometimes, some of the things we work hard for and we value we store for safekeeping. Well, we put them in a safe or a safe deposit box. We put them under lock and key or under a combination. But sometimes we forget where we put the valuable thing. It's interesting. A lot of people in California have forgotten where they put their valuable stuff. California has the second largest unclaimed property collection. Second only to New York. In February of this year, there was $6.9 billion of forgotten assets waiting for their owners in California. There's gold in California. $6.9 billion of forgotten assets, including a sack of diamonds and 20 pounds of gold bars and a can of sardines. I've got three waiting at home for me right now, so I won't claim that can of sardines. Forgotten stuff? unremembered stuff. I hope that you have not forgotten God in your work. But if you have, God can restore what sin has destroyed. Be assured there is forgiveness in Christ. Remember God in your work. You're going to work hard and then you're going to die. What are you working for? Worship God. You're going to leave everything to others. What will you leave behind? Invest in the eternal, in God's word and people. They may not be wise. But who are you helping? Prepare others. Be a wise mentor. Let this, let this message, let this passage of scripture reset the rest of your life. Have a realistic outlook on death, knowing the ultimate outcome of your work. That puts you on point. Remember God in your work while you rest in Christ's finished work on the cross. Hope in Christ. Work for Christ. I have a little plaque in, in our room at home, and it just says this. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can redeem the time and the work that you have given us to do for Jesus and the gospel, whatever our role. Thank you, Lord, that we can remember you in our work, that we can do that by worshiping you and investing eternally and preparing others for your glory. By your grace and for your glory, Lord, may we be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of that is yours, knowing that in you our labor is not in vain. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Take that with you today and remember that only what's done for Christ will last. 
And then next week, we are so excited for June 7th. We're excited because we're re resuming our in-person gatherings for the first time uh, in quite some time. We'll be under the tent outside at 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. And we will be having the live stream going on at 9.45 a.m. So we are really looking forward to getting back together. Uh, excitement is building. We're preparing to regather. And we've prepared a lot of important information that will start coming out to you tomorrow morning. We'll give specific details and guidelines. Just know there's more to come. The best is yet to come. Jesus is coming back with blessing for his people. And uh, we, right now, until he comes again, we're going to serve the Lord with gladness. We do everything to the glory of God. And we're going to work as unto the Lord. For our closing scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in you and your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, in everything we do, we want to give you glory. Use us, Lord, for your purposes. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.